John English. Welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Good. Glad to have you on. Uh, you'll be the second uh, interview that I've done on this series. I'm calling it Reflections. And it, it's just to get the feedback from members of the church as as this policy change has occurred. And uh, maybe, John, if just before we get into those questions, if, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself briefly to the uh, listening audience. Yeah. Uh, my name is John English. I've been a lifelong member of the church. I serve my in Seattle. I'm married with nine kids. Um, currently, I'm a teacher in the elders quorum in my ward. Um, I... Uh, marched with Mormons Building Bridges in 2012. That first year they had it at uh, in the Salt Lake City Gay Pride Parade. I was proud to be part of that and marched with them this past year as well. And, you know, whenever I feel like writing about Mormon stuff, I just write on my blog spots at John's LDS. Excellent, excellent. The The news came out, I think, just a little less than a week ago now, with these policy changes and a lot of members are kind of reeling from this and, and, tr- and trying to figure out how to make sense of it. And I, and I thought I would just start off by asking you, uh, your, your feelings maybe and thoughts as this came out and, and what the emotion has been over the last, uh, last week. Well, it just feels like a giant step backwards for the church. Um, it felt like that, we had been extending olive branches to the gay community and trying to make church still be able to work, even with the confines that we've put up for, you know, being a gay person and being able to be an active, worthy member of the church. And now this has come out. It's not only made that harder, but it's just set up these other barriers that just doesn't really feel like they need to be there. And it didn't feel very well thought out or distributed. And it's it, and if they don't change it or do some serious adjustments to it, it's going to have a lot of negative consequences. Yeah, I know, I know I've already seen online several prominent people uh, sending in their resignations to the church. One of those was Seth Payne that I saw yesterday. And uh, I know lots of other well-known scholars in the church, David Bakavoy, uh, other people who, who make intelligent musings about Mormonism, uh, Lloyd Erickson and others are, are obviously hurting from this. I certainly am hurting from this. Uh, and I think you're right. I think that if, if they don't do something quick, whether or not they think it's right and they want to do it, certainly up to them. But if they don't do something, it, it just feels like a lot of people are leaving right now. I I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were maybe before the policy came out and, and as you kind of hinted that you thought you were seeing progress within Mormonism. What what does Zion look like to you? What what were your expectations of where we could get to? What what does that kind of picture look like in your mind? Um, I was hoping that we would eventually get to a point where we could allow some kind of gay chastity in the church, some type of recognition that if you are committed to each other, you can still marry for time, 
in this life and be an outstanding member of the church. Um, my ideal would be if the church would look at the way it's handled, handled policies through the years and, you know, address homosexuality the same way they've been able to address the race issue. Um, the church had this policy against the African race for decades and decades. And under the Race in the Priesthood essay, they now point out that this church policy um, was based on some false theories and, you know, the culture at the time and um, a lot of a lot of uh, presidents upheld the policy maybe due to loyalty to Brigham Young or whatever reason. But they acknowledge now that they got it wrong. And I can't help but wonder if maybe they need to do the same thing with homosexuality where you have church leaders for the first time in just the past, you know, three to five years of being able to acknowledge that this isn't and let's let's start over with that and examine where this policy and or doctrine came from in the specifics and see if we're really doing exactly what the Lord wants. If we're acknowledging that that gays don't have a choice, that they are born this way, does the Lord really want to condemn them to a life of asexuality? Right, right. And uh, and I know a lot of other saints out there are also hopeful that we can find some way to at least on some level say, hey, you know, if you're if you're gay but you're you're legally married, you're making an effort to be loyal to that person, you've made commitments that you're keeping to to allow some level of participation in the church, and it it seems like the that really isn't what the church wants to do by the wording of a policy such as what we've seen in this past week. I, uh, you know, you said you teach an elders quorum. You, you talk about, um, you know, the progress that you were seeing. It, it seems like you're in, I, I certainly want to follow up here and kind of ask a last question, which is, uh, John English, why, why do you stay and, and what are your thoughts on, on that that effort to make Mormonism work? Um, I always had a really strong testimony of the gospel, and I only really had to dig in and examine it over the past, I don't know, two or three years um, since my wife had a faith crisis, and she ultimately decided to stop going to LDS Church, and she joined Community of Christ. And there's there's a lot of pain when you have one spouse decide to leave the faith. Um, but I decided to stop putting things on my shelf and really examine the church and really make sure um, that I was believing everything that I was taught and that I understood everything I was being taught. And I've been able to come away with a lot more nuanced, nuanced approach to the gospel. I feel like I'm a little more wide-eyed when it comes to church history. But the church is still my home, and it's still something I believe in, even if I don't believe in it the same way I did five years ago. Um, it's still the place where I get spiritual fulfillment, and, um, you know, it's my tribe. It's my culture. 
John, I guess I would maybe just ask one more thought, which, which is as you've kind of wrestled with this, um, you wrote a blog post that I've, I've shared on Facebook and, and I'll share when I release this episode, I'll put it on so that people can kind of see your thoughts. But, but as you've wrestled with this, do you have any, any kind of thoughts on the policy itself that, uh, that have come across your mind as you've had, a, obviously, I, I think everybody here in the church now is wrestling with this idea and with this policy. Any thoughts that you have specifically that could add maybe to that discussion? Yeah, I, uh, well, well, first I'll kind of share how this affects me personally. And this didn't occur to me for a few days after this policy came out. But um, my wife's bisexual and she has only recently publicly acknowledged this. We've been married for over 19 years. I mean, I knew the whole time, but it wasn't thing that she really shared much with people. And if she had cohabitated with the woman before we got married and had church discipline over that, let's say if that had happened, um, this policy this week would mean that my bishop or stake president could then see that on her records that she had discipline for that instance. And that would mean that my my two children who aren't eight yet, this policy now means that they cannot get baptized until they're 18 and disavow, you know, what my wife did before we got married, if that had been something she had done. And there, you know, there was potential. It could have been a choice that she had made. So, it's kind of chilling for me to think that this really could have directly affected me in that way. And I know there's thousands and thousands of members that this is affecting. There are so many members of the church that, you know, have gay friends, have gay family members that this is going to affect. And, and I just wonder how many have really sat back and thought about how this really does directly affect them. I'll also say it really bothers me how many people I've seen jump on this as being the Lord's will and it's treating it like revelation. And we haven't had any revelation language on this. We've had an update to the handbook and then we had a 10-minute explanation that didn't really explain that much from Elder Christofferson. But um, it kind of scares me how many members just automatically assume this is revelation and it is the will of the Lord that this be the way it is. I, th- I think we're surrendering our, uh, you know, our voice of common consent a little too easily. Just automatically assume every, you know, every little thing that comes out of the church office building is revelation from Jesus. That That's not how revelation in the church works. Right, right. As you're pointing out, it's, it's certainly a lot messier than, than the simple way we try to, I guess, talk about these things in the three hour block. And, uh, as I pointed out in the first interview that I released this morning, uh, this is certainly going to be an issue that I think all of us, both though, no matter what side of this issue you take, whatever position you have on it, this is certainly an issue that, uh, as you're pointing out, John, that we're all going to have to wrestle with. Uh, John English, thank you so much for being on Mormon Discussion, and uh, appreciate your time tonight. Okay, thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing, 
Interposed his precious blood. 